0: I knew I was a leader way back in the fourth grade when I gave James a test after showing him how to use the Dewey Decimal System. He was in the first grade. Even at the age of 10, I instinctively understood the importance of performance measures. James told his mom about me and reported me to the principal the next day, and I've never gotten over that. Forty years later, I'm still trying to figure out how to stretch employees, not get in trouble, determine the perfect performance measure, and how to manage bossy bosses. I wanted to do this podcast to place the human side of leadership right in the middle of the room. I am Dr. Don Emmerich, and this is Leadership Uncensored.
1: Yeah, top of
2: the world. When I-
0: Organizational politics are normal organization attributes and navigating internal politics is a necessary leadership skill for selling ideas and influencing others with diverse interests without compromising your integrity or the organization's values. There is clear evidence that if used skillfully and transparently, organizational politics can actually assist leaders in negotiating difficult workplace situations and advancing strategy. On the other hand though, A leader's inability to navigate this political system, the dirty power plays and the constant undermining of colleagues and subordinates for personal gain can make or break anyone's career. Today on Leadership Uncensored, we explore the dark underbelly of organizational politics. We have three amazing guests who will share their own dysfunctional political encounters. We will also discuss stories from the field. And um, at the end, we're going to provide some wisdom for the listeners out there. So welcome, everyone. Let me introduce our guest for today. Shailushi Baxi-Ritchie is founder and CEO at Seva Consulting here in Chicago, Illinois. We also have Arthur Padilla, a senior managing partner at Strategy Works in Washington State, and Rob Banksons, co-founder, board president, and facilitator of the Nonprofit Academy of Wisconsin in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Well, I want to just, again, tell um, let everyone know that we are thinking of them at the time of this recording. We know that the state of Texas is going through just tremendous um um, heartache and mm-hmm. um, loss of power and water. And many of my friends are, are in Texas and really struggling. And same thing in the Pacific Northwest in Oregon. So all of our thoughts and prayers are to the families and uh, just wishing you um, all the health and um, quick service to get that power back on. So I have been thinking about this particular topic for a while. Um, you know, the whole essence of Leadership Uncensored, again, is to talk about the dirty stuff that comes with leadership sometimes. It's not all fuzzy and warm. I mean, there's definitely the upside to the successes of leadership. um, But there are are a lot of really difficult things that leaders have to go through. And we don't really just talk about them. And organizational politics is one of them. And um, and I'm just so grateful that you all wanted to be a part of this and share your own perspectives. So I want to start with Shailushi. And I really would like for you, tell us about your background, who you are, your story—like, how did you get to your place in, as a consultant? And then dive into your experiences with politics.
3: Yes, absolutely. And Don, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm really excited to be here. Um, so, as you mentioned, my name is Shaylushi Baxi Ritchie. I um, I'm a 20 plus year veteran of the nonprofit industry. The only non-nonprofit job I've had was one summer where I worked at a KB toy store. So that was it, retail and then all nonprofits all the time. Um, I grew up actually in a really small town in Illinois called Streeter, and um, I, You know, my family is very involved in the community. So I really learned about giving back and being a, you know, sort of a community citizen, a global citizen through my parents and through being a member of this, you know, part of this really small community where everyone was really tight knit. I did my bachelor's work in Bloomington, Illinois at Illinois Wesleyan University. And then I went on to do my master's work at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And all of All of my family is here in in Chicago. Almost all of my family is here in Chicago. So after that, when I was 24, I decided, let's go west and have an adventure. (laughs) I I spent almost 20 years in the Bay Area um, and just moved back to Chicago in 2016. Um, And like I said, everything I'd done had been in nonprofit. So I've done just about everything and anything in the nonprofit sector. I worked for think tanks. I worked for... uh, Federally, a uh, federal health clinic. I've worked for small community organizations. I've worked for education organizations, just about everything. And I've done marketing, communications, fundraising, operations, finance, programs, evaluations. The
0: whole line of sight.
3: Yes, soup to nuts. Um, and really the one thing that always got under my skin is organizational, organizational ineffectiveness. And so I was really inspired to start my consulting work by trying to help agencies going through a leadership transition, which happens everywhere and is going to be happening more and more now. To to level up, or to at least bring it up to you know what I would say, bring it up to code for the next people, next person to come in. Um, And it's it's absolutely normal for organizations to. For their leaders to focus on what they like and kind of just do the bare minimum on stuff they don't like that much. So the organization is really molded in that person's vision, that person's skills and strengths. Um, And for the next person to come in, you absolutely have to sort of right the wrongs, bring things into neutral and help clean up some of the mess that they've left behind even if they didn't know that they were leaving it. And that's, <laughs> right. I mean, that's really critical there is that a lot of people don't think that they're leaving a mess, but everyone always leaves a mess.
0: Well, and even on top of that, you want to put your own flavor to the organization too. So depending on when you get in and discover how much of a mess it is, your yeah. your flavor on the organization and your style has to be delayed.
3: Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, and, It's less, actually less uh, pressing with systems and, you know, IT and HR and you can do that fairly easily. They don't have feelings. But but the number one thing that holds new leaders back when they come into a new organization is the, the staff and unprocessed feelings that people have about the last person, good and bad. Mm -hmm. Right. Sometimes it's that person was so beloved and people can't let go of that to move on to someone else. And sometimes it is that the person was actually not liked at all um, and was a really great fundraiser or really did well with the board. But staff don't like them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so being an interim executive director is a chance for sort of like clear all of that stuff out and give people a chance to process their feelings and be ready for the next person to come on board. Um, in addition to doing things like cleaning up financials often or making sure all the HR systems are up to date. That's always part of it. Um, but the, the staff piece is huge.
0: That's fascinating. Yeah, it really and, is. And so Shailisha, she, what I'm going to do is I'm going to come back to you. I want to go sure. through Rob and Arthur. And, and, and then I, and let's, let's start peeling back that onion a little bit, because I want you to start talking about some of your examples. Absolutely. That is a great tee up, great tee up. My mind is spinning already with questions. Um, Rob, tell us a little bit about you.
2: Okay. Uh, I can certainly do that. But actually, Shilushi, I wanted to mention one other thing, and maybe we can talk about it later, which is an experience that I had with an organization that I had been consulting with where the executive director had resigned and the board and the staff started working together very closely where the board became the interim executive director. When they hired a new executive director, there was this suddenly very close relationship between the board and some of the staff members. And so when they started getting upset about the way the new executive director was doing things, they would go behind her back to these new friends that they had made on the track. <laughs> So in terms of politics, that's just another thing that we might want to talk about. And in, in the end, they lost that executive director. Right. She stepped down altogether.
3: Just one example of how poorly it can go.
2: So as far as my story is concerned, Dawn, I uh, started out in theater a long time ago and So I've been a non-profiteer my whole life, basically my whole professional career. And it's kind of gone along as we, you know, I started out in New York City and then up in Albany and then um, came to Milwaukee to work at Milwaukee Rep and became a consultant then. I'm not sure why, but um, Bill Durkin decided that I was going to be good at fundraising. So he asked me, I'd never done fundraising before. So he asked me to join his firm and I started working with him on consulting and helping nonprofits with capital campaigns. And as we go along with this, you know, I started really getting interested in the dynamics of nonprofits and moved away from from fundraising consulting more into organizational consulting and working with the boards. And that's where you really get to see the political aspect of things. And so the reason I wanted to talk on this, um, on your podcast was really to share a particular story that I had an experience that I had very directly when I was at the nonprofit center. And it was an experience where, you know, we were supposed to be helping to work with other organizations and there was some politics going on in the organization. In fact, as they hired me, Somebody who was serving on the board of directors really apparently wanted to become the executive director, maybe the interim exec or the full board exec. So when the board chose to hire in any way, not hire her, but hire me, she spent a lot of time just creating doubt. And there was another board director who picked that up. So even when the first one had to step down off the board, the second board director continued that process And there was just, you know, I got down to, in a sense, what they were doing is they were bullying me. They kept holding these private Mm -hmm. meetings with me and making demands of what I should do. And Mm -hmm. I was getting emails very, very questioning emails that were copied to the whole board at 1130 at night. Um, (laughs) Things that I, (laughs) right. Um, That I wouldn't, you know, I'm not going to be responding because, you know, I'm not thinking clearly at 1130 at night. And second of all, you know, it, I, you know, I'm just not going to do it. So then I spend the whole sleepless night worrying about how I'm going to respond to this. So it was really that question of trying to create the doubt. And the, the next thing that they started to work on was really creating a top-down power structure with the board to me and to the rest of the staff. So they were pulling the board into a very corporate, judgmental stance. And even though the organization was struggling at the time, when even before I joined it, um we were struggling mightily and the board never engaged as a partner, but always as a judge and creating that distance between the between what they were doing and what I was trying to work on. A good example of this is as they were trying to recruit new board directors in the second year of my tenure there, I was not even allowed to participate in that process at all. I didn't know the names. I didn't know who it was. I wasn't allowed to participate in the interviews and it was all,
0: of your, own, of your own board members? Of my own
2: board, yeah. And, you know, I kept coming back and saying, listen, you know, if you just share the names, I can tell you if there's a history of the relationship between me and them right. or between the organization and them so that we at least walk into this knowing if there's any kind of a, a history that needs to be brought forward. But no, they wouldn't engage with that at all. And the line that I was given was that they didn't want the board to be populated with my friends.
0: Whew. <laughs> oh wow! Oh boy!
2: So it really became uh, just a battle in that way, and it, it was an unhealthy relationship. It never worked. The new board directors were recruited with that sense of doubt about me, and we were never able to bridge it. And then when you know a financial crisis hit, it just kind of ex- the relationship exploded. Wow! Yeah.
0: Well, welcome to the, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And welcome to the real world. And so, you know, one of the things that I wanted to do in, in sharing in this podcast was to, you know, uh, share that story and that it's, you know, it, it happens even when you're supposed to know about this kind of stuff and help other nonprofits right. through it. You still get tripped up by the politics and it's hard to navigate.
0: Well, I, I absolutely agree. And, and you know, I often reference about how important it is for a sp- you know, um, new leaders, aspiring leaders, you know, really being mentored because even the best of us have difficulty sometimes navigating this. And, um, and, and we tend to know the right questions to ask where the landmines are and how to avoid them. And sometimes we even fail. And so it's always important to try for those new new or emerging leaders who really want to be a CEO one day, um, really try to find that mentor to help you.
2: Ideally it would be nice to have somebody on the board that you can turn to in order to, you know, have a partner on the board, have somebody who is, has your best interests, um, and really try to create that relationship, um, I've even heard of an opportunity. It's it's in venture capital, actually. Um, it's called an operating partner, where somebody who's on the board of directors is, is there specifically to be the partner with the executive director to implement the goals and plans of the investing company. So they're not. So they're a slightly different stance. They're there as a partner for the executive director, but they're privy to all of the discussions that are happening at the board level. I don't know how this would work in the nonprofit sector and how to play it out, but that concept of having somebody who's almost like a board officer being there specifically to be the communicator with the exec and to help the exec fulfill the goals that have been set out, it's an interesting concept.
0: Arthur you have you have that to top you know no pressure
1: right no I was gonna let's say where do we start okay (laughs) okay well I'm just this little guy no I'm kidding um so um my name is Arthur Padilla and I'm here in Federal Way Washington right now and um I'm originally from northern New Mexico and um my uh time in northern New Mexico ended about 2017 when I decided to come back here to um to the Pacific Northwest I was uh living on 10 acres all by myself doing consulting for nonprofits for um, the last 10 years. And then it all changed and find myself in the city. But I started out in nonprofits um, in the early uh, um, 90s when um, AIDS was hitting all over the place. And I was young and I didn't know what to do other than take some responsibility and try to respond. And that's exactly what I did. So I started working in nonprofits. I did um, volunteer work originally And then I, then I came back and did, um, um, I started working as an administrative assistant in an agency. And then from there, I've done exactly as, as everyone else, I started doing everything. And I ended up, you know, being the jack of all trades and ended up, that's what you do. You learn to do everything. And so I've done everything. I've done outreach to um, IV drug users in the desert. I've done. Um, you know, I, you know, I've done raves. I did, I produced raves for, uh, for, um, HIV prevention for about 15 years. I mean, for about five years, I did 15 raves lost my hearing, right? So we did all of that, right? So I did all that. Um, so, you know, that w- that's that been my my work has always been community-based. It's always been about bringing voices and community voices to the front lines and having them lead projects, participate in projects, and do that kind of work. And it's, in effect, it's DEI work before anyone had a name for it, before people were willing to call it that, but that's what I've been doing all of my life. And, and it's um, part of the it's part of my own um, lived experience. When I was 15, my parents asked me to leave. They gave me a garbage bag and said, "Get out." And so I spent 10 years um, as a homeless person, wandering around the country and figuring my stuff out, and um, and emerged, you know, 10 years later in a daze. But I realized at that time that there was a dearth of services for young people specifically, and and in any services for young people that were different. So um, I've spent my life uh, trying to address those inequities uh, and um, really working on systems. I think a lot like everyone has talked about is like, how do you dismantle systems and then put them back together so that young people can participate and be um, engaged or anybody community can participate and be engaged. So that is the forefront of my consulting work now. That's mostly what I do.
0: That's amazing
1: yeah i do some interim work but you know what interim work is um it is um it's intoxicating for a different reason because you can't let it go right and it takes over your whole world and it's like a big old puzzle right
3: absolutely (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: so i did one gig in 2018 2019 for a homeless shelter in seattle an emergency homeless shelter they were desperate for someone to come in and take over and fix. All of that craziness that had happened before someone got there, and um, and I did it for a year and a half. It was a nightmare. The best learning of my life.
3: That's a long um, gig.
1: It was a long gig. They lost their their building the minute I got there.
0: Oh boy! And oh, in low. Seattle,
1: right in Seattle, we were renting about ten thousand square feet, and in Seattle that would cost about thirty five thousand a month. Oh my gosh! So there was, you know, that was <laughs> that was their annual budget for their rent. They were living in a basement of a church, so we had to. Either find a place for them to live or close it down.
3: Yeah,
1: and so um, that's what happened. I found him a, a, a fraternity house. Wow, and they converted that into a homeless shelter, and that's where they moved. But that was a project. That's an eighteen month project that was way bigger than I ever expected. Absolutely. took over my life. You know, I'm like, oh my god. And you know, very often I said, I'm going to stop being an interim. I'm. I quit. I quit. I quit. I quit. But uh, no, I didn't quit. <laughs> I, did, I didn't quit. And so it um, it worked out. Um, um, it worked out in the end, but you know. In the, anyway, so that that's kind of uh, that's kind of the gist of it. I got my master's education in Prescott, Arizona. Prescott College is a learn it on your own, um, you know, uh, fight the system kind of college. So I, you know, I mean, most of the courses I designed by myself, and I did my education all alone. And that's just kind of been the way that I've lived and the way I've operated. And I've been the ED of um, four nonprofits, and it's been quite the quite the exciting like, and they all have they all have drama oh. I'm sorry right how crazy am I right I think my the last one was what I need a therapist I don't need a job I need a therapist
0: well Arthur, I like I really yeah. love your perspective because not only are you bringing in the leadership the diversity of your leadership but you're also bringing in lived and learned experiences too and you know oftentimes that gets lost Mm -hmm. in some some of this leader the leadership story and so thank you for sharing that i think it's a great contribution to this conversation and and rob you know in your introduction you really started kind of um going going down your journey a little bit um the rabbit hole (laughs) the rabbit hole so so let's, let's talk a little bit. I mean, what I also heard throughout your introductions, even though you gave me, a, gave all of us a sneak peek, what I heard was um, a little bit from all three of you, this, uh, this idea of board overreach, right? Mm-hmm. And no question about power, that, mm-hmm. that power is um, a part of everything. Uh, so Rob, tell me a little bit about that and, and tell me the consequences of this.
3: I
2: think one of the, the questions that I actually spend a lot of time talking about when I'm talking with boards, when I'm doing you know webinars on how to do good governance, is really trying to figure out what is the relationship between the board and the staff? Um, how are we going to do operations and governance, and what's the the relationship here, you know, I describe that, you know, what we're trying, what we should optimally do is have a relationship that reflects your values, your mission. Um, I describe a nonprofit structure as being a Venn diagram with one circle being operations, the other circle being governance. And what you should then as an organization try to figure out is how to, how much of an overlap these two circles have with each other and how much engagement the board is going to have in operations on a day-to-day basis and vice versa. The other way to think about it is the um, gentleman by the name of Kao Lo, who used to run the Hmong Educational Advancements here in Milwaukee, described being the executive director of a small nonprofit as feeling like you're the person standing, holding up the tent pole in the circus tent. Oh, wow. So if That's you, a great metaphor. great. You are the executive director and for something happens to you, for some reason you walk away or you get hit by, you know, a flame throwing um, juggler what you fall down you let go of the tent pole the tent colla- the, the tent pole collapses the tent comes down and the circus is over so you feel it, what he was obviously pointing to is that he felt totally alone in managing his nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And so what we need to find is that so that was a board that had totally abdicated any power and any involvement. Mine was a board that were trying to take over the nonprofit and remove any control on a day to day basis from the exec and, and the senior staff. So there was the overreach going in the other direction. And so, you know, I, I don't think we spend enough time thinking about what are the power balances between the governance and the operations, and how are we going to work together as a team, as a partner, in a way that reflects our values and our mission.
0: So, so that's a great point. So I'm going to ask you, so I'm always thinking of, you know, the emerging leaders that might be listening, those who have worked in management for a long time and are ready to step in that role as a new CEO or new executive director. Um, you're right. How do you, if you're interviewing for an executive director position, how do you ask the questions to determine that power that power um, infrastructure? Like that's a hard question, especially if you are a new CEO coming into that role and you're interviewing, you're excited, um, you're not quite clear on what questions you're allowed to ask, what you should ask but i have just in my own experience as as a ceo former ceo and then you know just often talking to other people it's not until you get in and you start doing your first 90 days or your first 30 days where you go oh my god like how what how would you advise people to what can you learn ahead of time to know what you're walking into
2: I don't know that you can um i don't know shilushi and arthur you're you're both consultants you know from a consultant's point of view we always get called in and they'll say you know hey we need fundraising help and you get in there and you find out no actually you oh, need yeah. strategic or you you know it, it, uh, nonprofits lie to themselves
3: mm. yeah. so
2: when you talk to the board or and even ask some tough questions is like how do you get along with staff they're gonna say oh yeah pretty well you know it's great there are some moments." <laughs> You know, I think it's only when you get inside the organization that you're going to be able to really figure out what's going on. And then you have to have a very intentional approach to constructing the relationship that is going to be the right one between the board and the staff.
1: For sure. For me, it's really clear um, what I do. When I when I go in with agencies, one of the first things we do is talk about your power sharing policy. <laughs> and everyone's like, what? What is that? And I'm like, come on, people, let's talk about this, right? And it's really important for me. And it's a simple, simple set. I mean, we're not talking rocket science. It's super concrete. And for me, it's simply one of the things I uh, strongly encourage is, is you have a decision making matrix, and you attach it to every single agenda that you're working with, so that everybody knows that this is, you know, you're doing an advisory decision as a staff. Everybody gets to give their advice, but the ED is going to make the final decision, or the board's going to make the final decision, or this is a staff decision. Whatever you decide, it goes with. But this and ours is advisory. Whatever it is, but create a, a matrix for for just. And, 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 interestingly enough. In, an, in and of itself, that is one of the simplest, it's like good nonsensical, come on, mean, it is simple, right? And it works. It really does work because suddenly everybody has a structure that is right in front of them at every meeting. I do it at staff meetings, board meetings, volunteer meetings, everything, so that everyone knows what we're doing and how these decisions are being made and what role you're playing. Because one of the disingenuous pieces about power is we're saying, here you can have it, but yeah, yeah. I really can't. You don't really, we're not explaining what that really means. Yeah, right. I would also
3: offer um, to, to emerging leaders, Rob, something you, you referenced about nonprofits lied to themselves. And that is really, you know, that's the heart of power right there, in my opinion, is who gets to tell the story? With due respect to uh, mm-hmm. Hamilton and Lynn manuel Miranda, who lives, who dies, and who gets to tell your story? So mm-hmm. whose story gets to be the story? Of what's happening at the agency or what's happening between board and staff. So for for people who are looking to move into leadership, I think that's the question, one of the questions to center, which is who's telling you this story? Is it a board member? Is it um, and out you know is it a funder? Is it a staff person? Um, and to try and triangulate that to really get you're never going to know a hundred percent of what you're walking into, to but to get a sense of. I'm in an interview with a bunch of board members, they're going to present one side of the story. They're going to present the side that makes them look good, of course. course. (laughs) Um, Where else can I find information? And I think I would also encourage these emerging leaders to think, to be a little bit more assertive about finding those answers. Hey, could I talk to blah, blah? Can I talk to one of your funders? Could I talk to a staff person? Or a couple of staff people as you're looking to move into these roles, um, because I think I think about jobs like I think about dating. You want to find the right fit. You don't want just anyone. You don't want just any job. You want to find the fit that makes sense for you. So it makes sense to ask a lot of questions.
0: I absolutely agree with that. I think that is great advice. That you know, you do as a candidate for a leadership position, you have the the right to interview the organization. And so I love those suggestions of saying, give me a list, give me a list of someone within the, I mean, don't we do that when we're going to the doctor, we ask for references, we ask like, so we we should be asking references for the organization as well. They certainly wanna make sure that you are a right fit for them. You as a candidate should also be looking um, to understand whether they are a right fit for you. And I love that. And it's, it's intimidating, I think, as a new person, you don't think that you, you, you know, as a candidate, it, that you are, you're allowed to, or what are they gonna think of me? Oh, they're gonna, you know, I'm, this is not gonna look good for me. But um, this, these are big decisions for both the individual and for the organization. Um, so I wanna press a little bit, the three of you a little bit. So, so what we've been really kind of talking about is the dynamic of, uh, of the board or the governing structure um, and, and those who are in local government um, just look at that as your county commissioners or your city council, right? Or oftentimes you have a advisory committee, a community advisory committee in your government structure as well. So it's translatable. But I want to talk with you about maybe some of the staff politics. You know, folks who might be subordinates who are try- who are very ambitious and who are circumventing. Um, leadership. Let's talk a little bit about that. And do you have any examples of, you know, just the, eh, I mean, that's, that gets a little, um, that gets a little sticky.
1: Oh, it's sticky and gross, right? <laughs> because suddenly you find yourself in the middle of mucky muck and it's all uh, nasty. I I was in one, uh, one position and um, I decided that the, one of the, one of the staff people that everyone really loved I really love this person right everyone really loved this person but they were terrible they were terrible it wasn't it had nothing to do with how amazing they were as a human being they were terrible at their job and i had you know and i had been really nice about it for a good year and a half i mean i had been tolerant supportive let's do more education you know you know love you love you that kind of thing but then i had just had it cuz two things had failed and i said okay we're done and i terminated this person and oh my god you thought I mean you you really thought it was the end of the world but this person was so emotionally in, in um invested in with everybody's personal lives and everybody was emotionally invested in this person uh-huh. that the entire agency exploded donors funder everybody exploded when this person was let go and and it was it was a, it was catastrophic it was catastrophic for the agency and the ramifications were significant people stopped trusting each other the board was doing terrible things. So it was, it was a mess. So yes, it blows up and it blows up. quickly.
0: Yeah. It reminds me um, of uh, Frank Underwood from the house of cards, right? Like one of his strategies is make them fall yeah. in love with you. Right. Cause then you, that, that form of manipulation, mm-hmm. make them fall in love with you. Um, will turn people against people who are in decision-making roles, right? Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. It works. Um,
2: What happened here was that the person who was let go got the story out ahead of the organization. The story that was being told was from that one person's point of view, which may or may not have been correct because there's, you know, two sides to the story and they're both correct. Um, But his story got out ahead of the organization. They weren't ready. They weren't prepared with a a story to tell or a methodology to tell it. And he was much better at social networking than they were. And so he went out and his story went viral. And that became the story about what happened.
0: Oh,
3: yeah. I'll, I'll throw in a third perspective on this. So Arthur shared about someone that they, you know, he, he decided needed to go and went. Then Rob shared the story about someone who basically got ahead, ahead of the org and you know, sort of set the stage for how it's going to be perceived. I've been in a situation where I was told I could not fire a person. That person must stay because they were so critically important to the organization um, and that person's role in the movement that um, it was impossible to let them go. Um, And that's a third form of, you know, power and politics and and how boards – and donors actually, right, where the money comes from, can impact the work yes. that organizations can do, like how much they can accomplish. If you are forced mm-hmm. to keep, you know, someone on that is, is a figurehead, but is not doing the work, it's a, it's a, you know, it's an anchor around your neck. It's a real problem.
0: That's hard to recover from.
2: Time to move on. You're going to lose every battle after that.
0: You, this this is so interesting because I, I promise I promise this the list, the listeners my guests my my guests have no idea what the two field um you know stories from the field are but oh my goodness let me just tell you because what you just said is one of the stories but it has a little bit of a twist to it and that was that this was an employer who had a member of their executive team. Who had the skills, but they were just a horrible team player. Just a cancer, right? Just a cancer, but their skill sets were one where the board and some of the other people in the organization could not see them leaving. Well, the story in the field was that this person submitted. And in fact, they, when they submitted, they were like, I don't know if this is an example. It clearly is an ethics example, but I think it is. That's why I'm sharing it with you. This person could not fire this person. But what they did, the CEO actually called in a favor (laughs) to another CEO, who they knew they knew that they were recruiting for a position. And so this CEO, according to the person who submitted it, the CEO called another CEO and said, recruit my executive team member, Recruit them for the position. They recruited them, and they offered them the job. So, right. they so the organization got rid of them without having to lose any any political power or any kind of feedback or blowback because they you know wanted to fire them, and they got they got rid of the person. And so, I <laughs> I, I don't know how to it's like. There's a part of me that was like. That's badass. That's like okay, um, but then there's that other. Part. I just really struggled with that, but that was the solution because they didn't want to have the blowback of firing. I hope that that person didn't
3: value that partnership,
1: <laughs> right?
3: Right? Like it wasn't like some sort of community partner or something where they'd have to work with that person right. again. Because if this person was that bad of a team player, I. I I don't know how you would be like, here, take my person. Oh my God, you totally take my person. And then like, have them be
0: a lightweight, Right. I mean, but this is, to, and that's why th- this person who submitted it was like, this seems very much more like if you were doing a podcast on ethics and I was like, well, yeah, I mean, but that is part of the politics of this, right? Like <laughs> it, is, it is about ethics. <laughs> ethics gets called into question about power. <laughs> And, and so, yes, it's all intertwined and connected. So I was like, no, thank you. Thank you for submitting that because this is what we're talking about. Right. Yes.
2: But I think that also begs the question. Do you have the responsibility then as the exec to try to work this with your board? Uh, that's the board's overreach there. You know, every the, the board has only one, sometimes two employees. And that's the exec. And that's it everybody after that is the exec's employee and they have the right to fire. So you, you may have gotten rid of that one person, but you still have the problem with the, the political power struggle of who's in control of what part of the organization. So coach mm-hmm. mm-hmm. them to work that to, yeah. to work that angle with the board. You got to straighten that out.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you another story from the field. Um, And I'd like for you to react to it. So this one came in um, as a retaliation scenario, that there was a power struggle within the organization, this person who was the recipient, uh, and I'll give you the scenario, but this person who was the recipient of the power struggle um, pushed back, and then there was retaliation against them. So the scenario was, or is, it was time for employee evaluations to be conducted. And these employee evaluations were on a scale of one to four, four being the highest, of course. And there was a senior executive level, a management level, and then this employee. This employee had been working at this organization for a long time, had always had exceptional performance evaluation um, scores. And for 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, everybody was asked to raise the bar. Everybody was asked to do more, right? And so their manager gave them fours on just about everything, and not just them, but other people within this division because they had gone above and beyond. Somewhere within the organization, the message or the directive came down or across or came up, not sure, to change the scores. Change the scores, change them, change your fours to threes, and The middle management person had to communicate this down to not only the person, but to the other teammates. And the compromise to the pressure that they got was, I'll change the scores, but I'm not going to change the narrative on your employee evaluation. Clearly, that was not okay with them because, you know, performance evaluations are a part of your performance um, reward, right? Your raises. So... This person kept asking, Who is making that call? Because they don't know who I am. They have never worked with me before. Who's making that call? And nobody, they couldn't get any answers. And so they filed a complaint. They won the complaint. And then they experienced some retaliation. But to this day, um, they won. The performance evaluation got increased back up to fours. They have not been able to sign. That revised performance evaluation, and they have been retaliated against. Talk uh, talk to me about that. What's your reactions? Seen it before?
2: <laughs> no, I don't
0: think I have.
3: No, I have not seen this. No,
0: <laughs> that's a- I, I, yeah,
3: I'm almost speechless. You know, it's. It's this is I mean, this is beyond like politics and power, right? This is abuse. This
1: is abuse. Right. That's what I was saying. It was a legal issue that needs to be addressed in a very different yeah. way. Yeah. I'm the same thing. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was like, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. No, it's fine. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. It seems violent. It does. It seems inappropriate and wrong. And what is going on there? What are all of the other mitigating factors that's creating that? It's un un it's untenable, really, honestly. Mm-hmm.
0: One hundred percent. And so when I was thinking about that scenario, you know, in both of those scenarios, I was putting myself Mm -hmm. in the shoes of all the players. Right. And I thought to myself of the person who submitted, I put myself in their shoes and just how hopeless that person must have felt. But they did push. And that was amazing that they pushed. They didn't they didn't just settle to say, yes, I'll just take all threes. They pushed. Right. So they empowered themselves to do that but I was specifically more intrigued by the middle management, the squeeze that they must've felt, right? That they had the pressure from above, assuming that was from above um, having to then communicate that to their team, but the power that they felt and, you know, not sure whether they pushed back, but um, Mm. what a, what a culture, right? Like what, 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 mm. um, what an incredible position to be in, um, across the board. <laughs> so, it's-
1: well, I, I know myself, my, I well, well, I know myself, I know that I wouldn't, I wouldn't stand, I wouldn't have done it. There was absolutely no way I would have done that. I just, I wouldn't have, but that comes from a place i honestly it comes from a place of some level of privilege where i can walk away from a job i really can't because i can't afford to but i know that i could actually get rehired somewhere but at the same time i and and a level of uh maybe stupidity because i will walk away from a job and i've done that um turned around and said i am not doing this because it's easy to it's it's easy when you're a person of color it's easy for for, it, for, for these situations to occur. It happens often, in, in fact. So um, so I'm, I'm I'm saddened, but I never would have stood for it. I never would have said to, to uh, subordinates, you need to go make that, everybody change their." And I never would have done anything. I, I would have said, nope, you can do that. I am not doing that. If you want to do that, sure. If you're going to fire me for this, let's get it over with because I am not doing that. But that's me. I mean, yeah, I know sure. I, that I have a very you're personal opinion about
2: the it. Position of being the middle management, right, Arthur? You know, the person who's saying, I'm going to, who's yes. being asked to, you know, downgrade the, his, her, his or her employees. Okay. Yeah. Maybe it also asks, begs the question to me of where do you go with this? I mean, normally you'd start thinking you got to the whistleblower policy and, and start running it up the ladder, but it sounds from the, you know, a very brief story that it's coming all the way up from the top of the organization. Yes. So, you know, if you were trying to fight this because you believe in the organization enough and the impact that it has to realize that you have to fight this. In order to bring things back to where they need to be, where do you go with it? Do you go to a court? Do you go to the court of law and, and sue them? Um, employment lawyer, Where do you go?
0: Yeah, well, and, the, and apparently, you know, based on the conversation that I had with them, you know they they won the um, the complaint. So, I, and I and I believe that if I can recall the conversation, I believe that the motive behind all of that was that because COVID was um, devastating to so many organizations, regardless of whether you're nonprofit, for-profit, restaurants, government, everyone took an economic hit, right? right. Mm-hmm. And so the idea, my understanding is, is that the motive behind this was that this organization did not have the money to pay for the top performers. And yeah. so the association of pay for performance for, with those fours, was devastating to that particular organization and they did not have the money. So that was the motive, was to downgrade everybody to three because they didn't have the money to pay them.
2: As opposed to going back to the people and saying, hey, we don't have the money to pay. Right. You're going to get get a raise as soon as we get back on track. But right now we haven't got it. Sorry.
3: It's it's such ham-fisted leadership. Yes. Which is, Mm -hmm. without thinking through other ways of compensating people for good performance, like have some extra time off, right? right. Um yes. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's an easy thing to do where it's like, okay, we can't actually put dollars in your paycheck, but we can compensate you in other ways. Or like Rob said, we will just, we recognize your performance and we can't do this now, but we want to invest in you so it'll happen later. I was just, just gonna say, John, Oftentimes we talk about top level, top level leadership, but the middle management stuff I think is often where good people leave. Absolutely. Right. And I, I actually have a great story about an organization I was doing interim work with, um, The executive director was beloved, was a great fundraiser. The board was very active. Um, Line staff were fantastic providing services to our clients. Um, And it was really this middle management layer that was in trouble. Um, And the reason was that the then executive director had started as a line staff person and worked their way up through the organization. And when they got to be an ED, they held everything with them. So line staff were doing what they were doing. They were, you know, working with clients and the ED was actually directing everything. And so middle management was like, well, what am I here for? That's right, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, I think the challenge of, especially when you've got a leader that comes through layers of the organization, everyone defers to that person because they've done it before. It's that person's job to say, actually, I'm not your boss. This is a person you need to talk to. And Mm -hmm. over time, what happens is that staff, line staff, understand the power that they have, and they squeeze that middle manager till that person has no power at all. Yes,
0: right. That Um, that I have seen, and that was
3: when I had talked to you originally. That's the situation where there were like doors slamming and people crying. And I was having like all kinds of people walk through my office and be like, she said this to me and he said that. And I was like, at the time I had a 12 year old in sixth grade. And I thought <laughs> even middle school politics is not like this. What is, what is happening here? I mean, I had never seen people slamming doors and crying and like walking out and being like, I can't look at this person. Um, and, To me, that solution, the solution was pretty obvious, which is like people don't have enough work to do.
1: (laughs) That's what I always say.
3: If people can get so pulled into organizational melodrama, that means that people aren't doing enough work. And being an interim is a really great way to push the work back down on the people. Because I'm like, I don't know anything about, you know, I'm here to just sort of get you through from one place to the other. Yep. Set it up for the next person. Mm -hmm. The program work that you all do, I have no idea. So you all tell me what you need. And in some ways, like having the interim was the best thing that that organization could have done for that program, right? People leave. I was like, someone came to me and was like, "Um, if I don't get to do this, I'm going to have to resign. And then a week later I was like, I'm really sorry. This is your termination date. Like you already (laughs) told me that you're resigning and I can't make this happen for you. Yeah, and the person was shocked that that yeah. could have happened.
0: Yeah, they were trying to do a power play mm-hmm. on you.
3: Exactly, and it was like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I am the interim, and my job <laughs> is to create a better culture for the next person. This cannot happen anymore. Yeah, That's Wow. Right.
0: That's right. Yeah. Well, that mm-hmm. is a great segue. Mm-hmm. Listen, we, you know, we're already at fifty minutes of this thing, and we could have probably gone for another thirty um, with example after example, Easily. and. Uh, this has just been fascinating. Um, we'll have an opportunity to wrap some things up and share some of your wisdom at the end of the podcast, but let's lighten it up a little bit. Let's have a little bit of fun. <laughs> and, and cause you know, leadership is fun too. And so, so what we're going to do, we're going to do a um, 30 second hot seat. It's not going to be 30 seconds. um, But cause we have three people here, but it's going to be fun. So, <laughs> So the 30-second hot seat comes in two two components. The first one is is that I'm going to give you prompts um, that I'm going to ask you to respond to with three words or less. Once we go through that, I'm going to be listening to all three of you. It's going to be a challenge for me because it'll be a lot of information coming at me. But I'm going to select one of your responses, one response from each of you, and I'm going to loop back around to you and say... Okay. You've got to explain that. Um, And so be prepared to explain that. And um, let's just kind of have fun with this. So we'll go real fast. So let me just remind the listening audience what those prompts are. The prompts are the good, the bad, the funny, the ugly, the worst, the best, the kick-ass, the lesson, the redemption, the cry, and the embarrassing. All right, you ready? Yep. Okay, the thirty-second hot seat starts right now. The good connection.
2: Oneida,
1: multi faith works.
0: The bad status quo.
2: Timeout.
1: Nonprofit clients.
0: <laughs> the funny mythology.
1: Bitcoin smile
0: the ugly ego
2: asbestos tile
1: (laughs) post-merger
0: okay (laughs) the worst egos unchecked
1: shock and awe oh my god confronting racism
0: the best blossoming
1: tracy wason the multi-faith works board
0: the kick-ass coaching
2: fleck foundation
1: uh, root Staff
0: The Lesson Humility plus Power
1: Mills Mess Change is Hard
0: Yes, yes. The Redemption Your Growth Arc
1: Becoming a Moth Daily <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> The Cry Head to Desk all the time Stop Pivoting
1: <laughs> Roots and Death
0: And the embarrassing. Such a small scope.
1: Budget reveal. And and board and staff um, relationships.
0: (laughs) Yes. All right. Thank you so much. Oh, my gosh. I could not keep up with all of your responses. I found myself writing down so many. And I don't remember who said what. So, perfect. All I remember what what came what I heard was Tracy, Bitcoin. I heard asbestos tile. All three
2: of those. I yes.
0: I, oh, okay. I heard ego. Yeah, that's me. Um, so so, I'm going to then because I couldn't keep up with everything. Arthur, what was what's what's that one response that made you either cringe or giggle? in your list that you want to talk about?
1: It was the kick, the kick ass. It was, it was the root staff. It was a staff that I met at the uh, young adult shelter. They kicked my ass. They, <laughs> they made me listen. They made me stop and take, they pay attention. They forced me to, to have conversations and they were soup soup superb human beings. And so they they made the whole 18 months of hell worth it. I'm telling you, they were amazing. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> awesome story. Awesome. Yeah. Uh,
3: I'm going to talk about what I said for uh, the best, which is blossoming. So one of the things I've often been asked by pretty much anyone who doesn't know about interim leadership work is why would you want to walk into an agency with mm-hmm. problems? And that is why. Because when you can see not just the work of the agency, but the governance and the people who work there and the systems all come together, it is a blossoming of the organization. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm saying that and I'm kind of getting goosebumps. Like, that's the thing that makes the rest of it worth it for me. That's awesome. Mm
0: -hmm. Rob? Yeah. Yeah.
2: I'm going to gonna pick the lesson, and mostly because Arthur laughed when I said Mill's Mess, and I don't know if you know what Mill's Mess is. It's actually a juggling technique huh. where it, well, it's more complicated than I can even possibly describe in a podcast. But the reason I used that, it was that it was an image for me of uh, a lesson that I teach when I do facilitation in a long-term, like a day-long facilitation with a team. And I learned how to juggle from juggling for the complete klutz. And I get somebody to come up and I say, okay, here's three juggling balls. I'm going to teach you how to juggle. So, okay, here they are. And they hold the juggling balls and they're waiting for me to tell them. And I say, drop them. Oh. Pick them up again. Okay. Drop them. Pick them up again. Drop them. And this is directly out of the juggling for the complete cl- klutz. You, As you are learning to juggle, you are going to drop the balls a lot. So you may as well get used to it. It's Okay. And so as you're a leader in the nonprofit sector, you're going to drop the ball. It's okay.
0: That that is great. That's great <laughs> advice and what a great Beautiful. exercise. What a great mm-hmm. exercise. Mm-hmm.
2: It's really good after lunch, when you know when you have that dead zone after
0: lunch.
1: (laughs) We all know what you are talking about. It's so
3: funny. Uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Did you have fun? Did you have
0: fun? Kind of going through that, it made you probably remember some of the things that you might have forgotten, or some really good, really good stories. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. The embarrassment Mm -hmm. caused a little PTSD, but that's okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think we all have that too. I could do a whole episode on Mm -hmm. leadership PTSD. That's for sure. So, let's talk a little bit about what are some um departing words of wisdom besides what you've already shared? What are some things that you would like to tell our listeners uh, and and the people that listen to this podcast are are folks from a variety of levels. I do have a lot of um you know new leaders that listen because they want to hear the truth and honesty about what they're getting ready to get into but the, but I also- you know have folks who have been around for a long time and have done a lot of work. So what kind of wisdom would you like to share with our listeners about this particular topic? I I would say
3: three, I've got three lessons, really. The first is to be vulnerable. As a leader, it's impossible. I mean, as a person, it's impossible to know everything. Certainly as a leader, when so much is riding on your shoulders, to admit that you don't know, that you're not sure that you need help um, is is huge. The second thing is to be attuned to the talent that's there and around you. And how do you lift that up? Um, it's particularly true in inter- interim leadership because you're trying to stabilize an organization, but as even as a permanent leader, to bring on and to lift up people that will help the organization grow. I think the third thing, is about finding the right mix of joy and hard work in -hmm. your life, right? So this isn't just about work. Um, And people often talk about work-life balance. I don't, you know, and it's gotten harder to do with COVID and everyone being home um, Mm -hmm. all the time. But um, I think it's finding the right mix of what brings you joy versus what is work and what needs to get done. Cause sometimes work doesn't feel like work. It feels like fun. It's exciting. It's amazing. Um, and in those moments you aren't working, right? It doesn't yeah. feel like work. So it brings you joy, but then pull back when you need to pull back. When things start to feel like work, take break, pull back. Maybe it's on a Thursday afternoon and you're like, I want to knock off early at two o'clock. That's fine. Cause you'll pick it up somewhere else.
0: Yes. Great advice. Great advice. Thank you. Thanks. Rob.
2: Um, I have a one piece of, well, two pieces of advice, one to a board, one to the staff, and then just an observation. The advice to the staff is be aware of your team as a leader. uh, There are some examples, you know, they're pushing now for teams to be the organizations to be more flat and for the leadership to not be top down and directive about things, but be careful about who you actually have on your team. And if they are willing to respond to that kind of an environment They may be scared. They may be in some way not ready to take on. So that kind of shared leadership in an organization. So be really, really aware of who you've got on your team and what your skills and abilities are. From the board point of view, there's a a beautiful letter uh, from the from an executive director at the nonprofit quarterly talking about how stressed out executive directors are right now. Uh, they're taking drugs. They're, you know, they're, they're not sleeping. It's worse than it ever was. Being an exec is always a strange position. As a board, reach out to that person. Be their partner. Be the help. Answer the phone call. Reach out to say, what can I do today? I've got an hour. What can I do to help you? Um, do you just need to talk? Uh, whatever it is, be the partner to help the executive director get through the night. The third thing is an observation, and it's a power dynamic that we haven't discussed in this particular podcast, but I want to make sure it's spoken about, which is the power dynamic between the philanthropic community and the nonprofits. The people who give us money are in power. They have a, and they're um, imposing a power structure on us, and we need to be aware of it, and we need to be comfortable with it, and we need to push back a little bit on it. So there is a power dynamic between us and our donors, and we need to call it out
0: whoa what a nice ending to that nice yes that, thanks that was, that was perfect
1: um there- well the thing uh, for leaders that i'm talking to right now the thing that i i I'm, there's a lot of things that i'm talking about but one of the things is power we're talking a lot about power and understanding what that means and being able to do the work to if you're going to talk about power that you understand what needs to happen for folks around you that are uh what education and skills and capacity building needs to happen in order for people to take advantage of power, because you can, you can open the door, but if they have no skills and capacity to walk through it, then then you're just setting everybody up for failure. So that's one thing and that's really important. And in that it's um, the other thing that's super important as a leader, from my perspective is listening, listen, 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 listen. So I, as a, As a um, coach, I often tell um, executive directors, you need to to stop and listen. This is your new role, especially now when we're talking so much about racism and and deconstructing um, institutionalized oppression, we really need to understand what listening means. So I'm talking to leadership, boards, community, donors, philanthropists, everybody, shut up, sit down, and listen, and I'm not kidding you. It's hard to hear, it's hard to say, but it's it's important. Say it again. Just shut there up. There
0: we go. Say it again. Shut, shut up.
1: up. Yeah, you just don't know what you're talking about. I wish you did. Take the time to learn, and then stop, stop, stop making the noise. And that's really important. And then the last thing is for new leaders get support. I I know that this is a fun, new, exciting opportunity to be an independent person. And I, but I strongly recommend that you get support, even if it's a a peer support group of four people that you meet for lunch every month, but something. And that's the work, that's a lot of the work that I do is peer based coaching for new interims because they, for new interims, for new uh, executive directors because they have so much on their plate. There is so much expectation. And having a place to exp- uh, experiment, process, understand, learn about, and, and find their own path in that is really important. Get support. Do not do this by yourself. Just do not.
0: Yeah, those are wonderful parting words. And um, interesting that one of my um, other podcasts that I'll be doing later on is um, this feeling of it's lonely at the top um, yeah, for leaders. And, and so that'll be um, one that we'll be doing later on this year. Um, and 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 I've actually, one of the greatest pieces of advice that I've gotten to, to your point is to have a personal board of directors. Um, you know, someone that, again, that is a safe space outside of work to kind of help eliminate some of that politics, the politics that we're talking about. And I would also say that as, as, as new people coming on to a position, regardless of whether you're a new new executive director or CEO or seasoned one, request a mentor to help you mm-hmm. in those first 90 yes. days.
1: Right. Exactly. Don't be afraid mm-hmm. of
0: that. That is not a sign of weakness. That is a yep. support so that someone can help you identify all the dead bodies, all the little fuzz bunnies underneath the carpet. Um and and can help you learn the culture of that organization. So excellent, excellent feedback. Listen, we could go on forever. Um, I want to thank each of you for taking the time to do this. Shalushi, how can people get in touch with you and connect with you? Uh,
3: Well, uh, I am the only person in the world with my name, as far (laughs) as I can tell. If you put my first name in, S-H-A-I-L-U-S-H-I, into Google, I'm the only person that comes up approximately 10
0: pages. Wow. Um, So I'm very easy to find. You better better never screw up, you lady.
3: Well, there's a bunch of interesting stuff there from like a community theater production I did when I was like 12 and like just get used to having no anonymity on the internet. I've been like a long time. Um, The easiest way to get a hold of me though is through uh, Save Out Consulting, which is S-E-V-A-H- consulting.com. And there's contact information for me there. But of course, uh, if you, like I said, if you just type in my first name, you'll see everywhere I am and whichever um, handles and platforms I'm on.
0: Excellent. Wow. Rob, how can, how can people learn a little bit more about you?
2: Uh, they should go to the website for the Nonprofit Academy of Wisconsin, which is uh, www.npawi.org. And we have a whole range of you know services and um, opportunities that we offer for nonprofit organizations, but also for the individuals. And to Arthur's point, we're actually right now trying to recruit for a leader circle. I have a couple of uh, executive directors who are new to small nonprofits who would really like to engage in a leader circle. So we're looking for about nine other people. I have about maybe four. So I maybe need another six to come together to be part of this monthly group so that we can have that shared peer-to-peer support. So if you're interested, uh, go to npawi.org.
0: Excellent. And Arthur, how can we connect with you?
1: And for me, I'm not as easy. That's hashtag you. I mean, that is so easy. That's really great. I want to do that. But I am at uh, the easiest way to get a hold of me is at my website. It's strategy.works, S-T-R-A-T-A-G.works. And um, you can click on there. I have free appointments for everybody and you can see what we're doing and what, what I'm looking for. But right now for me, right, I'm looking for uh, coaching clients, especially young leaders that are brand new, looking for young leaders of color who are interested in engaging in a peer-based experience. Um, so yeah, that's that, that's really what I'm doing. I'm doing a lot of strategic planning and all that, but no one's interested in that. That's just... Boring. The the fun stuff is the coaching. I have to go to agree. So I'm looking for new folks there, but uh, really I it that's it's really important for me and I think it's really great for everybody. So strategy.works that's where you can find me.
0: Great. And if you weren't able to jot all of these things down, you can also find their information listed on my website at com. Thank you again very much. This concludes today's episode of Leadership Uncensored. Tune in for episode two of season two next month on the topic of the destructive side of narcissism and arrogance. Ooh. That ought to be good. Yeah. Anyway, Ouch. <laughs> thank you, everyone. And um, Thanks, please be careful, safe, wear your masks, wash your hands, and uh, love your family and give hugs. Thank you.